Hi, this is Mark, lead pastor of Lux Digital Church. I want to thank you for joining us today and also invite you to join with us live at twitch.tv slash Church every Wednesday night at 8.30 p.m. EST. Thank you for joining us and please enjoy this message. Hey everyone, my name is Alex Sarosa and I am the pastor of Family Life at a small church in Saxburg, Pennsylvania. And I'm just so thankful and excited to be able to be here with you today. I'm just so pumped to hear what is happening through this community, through Lux and, and through the church, through the leadership here. And I just know that God has been moving mountains through Lux and I'm excited to see what he's going to do in, in the days and the weeks, the months, the years ahead. And so thankful that I got to, to be invited, got the blessing of being asked to come on out and speak because Mark gets the blessing of being at a, a stadium watching a, a baseball game that he does not care about. So excited for him um, to be with that experience, and uh, I'm excited to be with you today. Uh, one of the, the things that got me excited about speaking at Lux today is the fact that I really love so much of the leadership team that's here. And so I just wanted to take just a moment to encourage um, your church and the, and the church leadership that you have. I mean, Sam was up here saying it and did a wonderful job. He has a beautiful voice. So does his wife. And, and David, who, who plays music, does a great job. And Ryan Etter also plays music. And He's fine, and um, and because he calls me the loot player, so I can make fun of him a little bit too. And uh, and Craig, who's uh, uh, awkwardly taking pictures of me right now, um, to to this side of me is wonderful. And me and him actually lead a small group of senior boys, and and I've been able to see Greg grow and mature. And he's just I'm so proud of him for for everything he's doing, except for weirdly taking pictures of me right now. Shebel is uh, is of course the guy that is behind the the screen, kind of like. Oz and the Wizard of Oz, like he's he's behind the scenes and he's giving me courage and he's he's doing a lot of other stuff over there. But I have known Shebel for a long time and, and we got to lead in ministry together. We actually were in a, a band that we played every week for our worship band for youth group for two years plus and it was so cool to be able to play with Shebel and, and it's, it's awesome seeing him do some work here. Jen uh, Lutz was actually in that band too. She played keys. Uh, I, I played guitar and my wife sang and, and, and she was on drums and we had uh, Sam Ott playing bass and a lady named Tammy singing too. But anyway, it was that was one of my fondest memories in in my whole entire life. So it's cool to be with Shebel and with Jen and Mark and me go back almost 20 years now. We met at a summer camp playing risk uh, the board game and I know that I just made fun of the game the whole time because I didn't take it serious and somehow me and Mark still became friends after that because he took it real serious and and he loves risk and I wasn't a big fan of it but I do love board games and so we became friends and we went to each other's youth group and then we also got to play Dungeon Dragons all the time we still play role-playing games every other week over zoom and I live just down the street and and our kids are friends and it's so cool to be in the community with him and so Anyway, just want to let you know, you know already because you're here, but just want to let you know that you have an incredible team of, of leaders, and there's more that I haven't even mentioned. Um, the good doctor, the 10th doctor, Corey, he's awesome. I just play board games with him. He's great. Um, Haley Baker, I think it's Hey, Hey, Bake, which I, I always thought it was Hey, Bay, Bake because there's this old song that said, Hey, Bay, Bay. And so I, I thought that was her title. I, I read it for the first time, like actually read it, and that I was wrong on that. But she's, she's incredible. She was a leader at the church where I, I got a job at New Life. She actually left leadership like a week after I got there, which is 
I don't know. Maybe maybe it was because of me. I don't know. But she's incredible, and so that's she's she's on the team here too. So anyway, great team, awesome church. I've been praying for you guys. I'm excited to be here. And and one of the things that I love about my friendship with Mark and my friendship with Jen is that throughout my life they have really encouraged me. Whether it's my leadership stuff or ministry or speaking on stage, and there's been times where they've said certain words at specific times that I needed to hear them, and their words of encouragement have given me life, and I. I've just, I've just loved them because of that. I mean, love them for a lot of reasons, but I really appreciate their words of kindness because what I've understood in life, as we're talking about this big fat mouth, we just saw the video for a big fat mouth. What I've, I've come to understand is that words have this ability, this power to bring life. That if people say the right thing at the right time, it could just give you that energy, that boost to continue. But words also have an opportunity to bring about death. I know this because I had no control over my mouth for most of my life. I'm Italian, so as you can see with me, talk with my hands and like scooting around on this thing because I talk with my feet as well. But I have a, a big voice, a loud voice. And when I was growing up, I thought it was kind of like a superpower that me and my brother had where we could like say a comment that would like break right through someone's hard exterior and either make them laugh or cry, depending on how we felt at the moment. So much so that there was one time I was driving in a car and I, just a little fun fact about me, don't have good eyesight for my, my right eye. So I was driving, there's a medium on this side and a semi-truck on this side. My buddy Hunter behind me was like, A-Rod, which is a name that they call me, he said, A-Rod, you suck at driving. And instead of being like, haha, that's kind of funny, I was like, Hunter, you're poor. And he... <laughs> That's really mean. That's not something you should ever say. It was, I, it was low. I'm laughing because of how horrible that was. Um, and, and yeah, you could ah, don't ever do that. And he was crushed. And years later, he brought that up. I was like, man, that was harsh. And I was like, I know, I'm so sorry. But here's the thing: words have the ability to bring about death or life. That actually comes right from God's word. King Solomon, the wisest person to ever live, wrote the book of Proverbs. And in that book, Proverbs 19 or 18, verse 21, it says, "The tongue." can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Again, the tongue can bring death or life. And those who love to talk, so people like me, I got, we got to pay attention to this, will reap the consequences either way. And here's the thing that I've learned from moments like that with my buddy Hunter and other moments like when I get encouragement from people like the Lutzes, what I've realized is that I don't want to be a part of the problem in this world. I want to be a part of the solution. There's enough death and hurt already. I don't want to feed into that. I'd rather do the opposite and bring about life on this planet. While I'm here, while I have some time, while I have breath in my lungs, I want to do my best to bring good things and not destroy. And so that's what we're talking about today. We're, we're talking about how can we use our words to affect positive change. Specifically, we're going to talk about complaining. Because if you're anything like me, it gets too easy to complain about things. Sometimes when you're with your friends, or for me, it's with my spouse or, or whoever you're with, your your friends at work and then you just start talking and then eventually someone complains about a boss or or their spouse or the game or the government or something and it just goes into this time where you're complaining and complaining complaining it's using our words and it always brings about death there's never been a point where i've gotten together with people and complained and walked away and been like 
That was a good use of my time. I'm really happy I spent that time complaining. Usually I feel either more mad or terrible the next day. So thankfully for us, when we're dealing with this idea of complaining, God's word has something to say about it. God's word, in, in his word, in the Bible, as he spoke through people and they wrote down what the Holy Spirit was saying, he had something to say to us, and we're going to check it out today. So th the first thing I want to talk about is this guy named Moses. You see, Moses was a man that God called to free a whole nation of slaves. He went to the people and, and he, he told Pharaoh, who is the, the king of Egypt, and said, hey, let my people go. God wants the people delivered. And the Pharaoh was saying no, but God did these amazing miracles and the people left slavery. And they're walking, they're walking, and eventually the army from this Pharaoh came behind them to try to grab them back into slavery. And then God did another miracle where there was this like sea and he split the sea so they could walk right through it and as they went through it they got to a desert and they're walking around this desert and then when they were hungry god provided this food from heaven and then there it was like bread they called it manna and then they they liked the bread but then they actually wanted meat so god gave them quail and so they had meat and then they're like well we're also thirsty so god said fine just like smack this rock and when you smack this rock, water will come out. And water did come out. And so there's these amazing things that happened over and over. And so it would reason that through God's word, these people that were freed from slavery, that got to see miracles, would have spent most of their time just praising God. Just saying good things to God and saying thank you so much. But instead, we get verses like Exodus 14, 11, and 12. And let me read to you what they said in that verse. It said, and this is the people, the, the people that were freed from slavery. They said, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So instead of saying, thank you so much for bringing us to the point where we're at right now, instead they said, basically, how dare you? How dare you take us out where it's hard? It, we're, we're in the desert and, and this stinks. Like, I don't want to be here. We're, we're always hungry. And sure, you give us magical food from heaven, but we still aren't happy. And for a long time, that like, threw me for a loop. Like, how are these people so ungrateful? But then I look at my own life and I have plenty of good days. But then what happens during those good days, I start to remember the bad things that happened the day before or the day before that. And even when things are going well, I, I can nitpick and I can find negative things and I start to complain even when things are good. And for a long time, I had no idea why this was. But a couple years ago, I read this quote from Travis Bradbury. He is, is a doctor and he wrote a book. I think it's called Emotional Intelligence 2.0. I should have wrote that to confirm, but I think it's what it is. If someone could Google it. To, yeah, it is. Okay, good. Thanks, Sheep. Um, the Wizard of Sheep back there. Um, so Sheep, and that was correct, not to Sheep. I'm not just talking to him anymore. I'm talking to all of us. Um, the quote says this, uh, repeated complaining hardwires the brain to do more complaining. Competed complaining makes us complain more. It's not because we complain a lot that eventually we stop it. We just, we complain more. What he says in his book is that there's this negative um, 
I guess, uh, reaction that happens in our life. So whenever we're negative in a bad situation, when we get to a good situation, we're still negative. So in this story, when you're negative in slavery, which admittedly, how hard would it be not to be negative in slavery? When you're negative during the time of slavery, whenever you get out of slavery, your brain is hardwired to be negative still. And then you have this confirmation bias. When you look for something bad, you'll find it. Like when you want to look for a flaw, you're going to find it. There's not a person on this earth that you can't find something wrong about because we're broken people living in a fallen world. So you can complain about whoever you want if you want to. You can complain about anything you do if you want to. We're broken people in a fallen world. There's plenty of issues out there that we can complain about if that's what we're looking for. But instead, we should find a better way. And Moses tried to tell his people how to start shifting their mind from complaining to something else. And so in response to the grumbling of his people, Moses said, you are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. You're not grumbling against the leadership here because we're not the ones that did all this. God did this. You're, compl- you're grumbling and complaining against the Lord. Imagine if every time that we complained, we didn't think that we were complaining about our boss or about our job or about the weather or about the government, that instead we were complaining about God, who brings about all good things, who is the creator of the universe. So my question for you, you don't have to type this out if you don't want to, you could, I guess, if you want to, is what do you complain about? For me, it's generally my schedule. I hate when my schedule gets too busy. I hate not being able to do the things that I enjoy doing. I like reading books and reading comics and playing board games and playing role-playing games. I like doing those things. But as I've gotten older and as me and my wife got married and we had our two wonderful kids, my wife's name is Rachel, my kids' names are Ezra and Joel, once we, we became a family, that stuff just became less and less and so there's days where i just get so frustrated that i want to complain about it or i complain about the house that we live in which is a humongous blessing but the truth is i complained about the apartment we lived in before i thought it was too small and now i have all this property and stuff to take care of and i think that's too big and so i spend time complaining so for you what do you complain about what do you allow your mind to get wrapped up in negative wise like what do you complain about And if you're like me and you're saying, okay, I don't want that to be what I'm about anymore. I want to find a better way. I got to tell you something. This is something that I heard once from a pastor named Craig Rochelle, and it really stung right through my heart. And and I hope that it, it helps us today. Here's the thing. The problem isn't our schedule. The problem isn't the government. The problem isn't any of those things. The problem is we've taken our eyes off the goodness of God and put it squarely on ourselves. Problem isn't that things aren't perfect. I mean, that that does suck, right? But the problem when we're complaining isn't those things. It's the fact that we've taken our eyes off the goodness of God and put it squarely on ourselves. I looked through God's word and I wanted to find an example where someone complained and it was okay. Because let's be honest, sometimes we want to complain. Sometimes it can be fun. So is there a part in God's word that says, yeah, it's kind of fine to complain? I couldn't find it. I did find this story about a guy named Paul. Now, Paul was called by God to change his profession, to change his whole entire life, to tell people about Jesus. So what he did, he didn't really have a home. He was really nomadic in nature. He would go from town to town, and he'd gather people up, tell them about Jesus, train them to be leaders in a church, and then he'd leave. And he would do that again 
and again. Now, this would be hard. I mean, it's hard because going into a new place sometimes is scary. It's hard because you get these great relationships and then you say, all right, I'll see you later and I'll maybe write to you. And then he does, did that again and again. And he was doing great work. But what happened was the government started to get angry with him for telling people about Jesus. Not only the government, but the Jewish society, and then also different believers that, that didn't necessarily love everything that what he was saying. So Paul, this guy that gave up his whole life for God, that you would assume like, okay, good things should come to this guy, was beaten, and he was jailed, and he was shipwrecked, and he was snake bitten, and he was stoned within an inch of his life, and eventually he was imprisoned. And while he was in prison, he sent a letter regarding complaining. And let me tell you, if there's anyone in God's word that had the right to complain, besides maybe a guy named Job in the Old Testament, I'm thinking Paul, who gave up his life to tell people about Jesus, wrote like half of the New Testament that we have in our Bible. I mean, he did big stuff for God and his kingdom. If anyone had the, the right to complain, Paul would. But this is what he said to the church in Philippi. Do everything, everything, without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. He could have complained. He could have taken his time and he could have whined and said, man, things aren't fair. And we would have been like, yeah, that's fine. Like, that's right. Like, you can complain, Paul, because things are rough. Instead, he said, do everything without complaining, everything without arguing, so that no one can criticize you, so that you can show people the light of Jesus. So for us today, if we want to overcome this barrier that is complaining, if we want to overcome this obstacle in our life that is complaining, what do we do? Well, that guy that I referenced earlier, Craig Rochelle, who's the pastor of Life Church, once said this, and it's, it's so important that um, I want to say it to you because we're going to be talking about it through the rest of the message, and it's this. If you can change your circumstance, do something about it. And if not, change your perspective. If you can change your circumstance, do something about it. And if you can't, change your perspective. Before I get into those, and I'm going to take them in two different halves. So first, we're going to talk about if we can change our circumstance, let's do something about it. And then we're going to talk about changing our perspective. Before we get into that, I want to tell you something, and this is very important. It's not a sin to notice that something is not right. It is a sin to know what to do, and we don't do it. It's not a sin to have a righteous indignation about something going on in the world. In fact, in God's word, it says over and over that he hates sin, that he despises sin. Someone once told me that my, my kid came home from youth group where, where I was leading and said that God hates sin. I told him, no, 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 God doesn't hate anything. And I told the, the dad, no, 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 uh, God hates sin. He abhors it. He hates sin because sin is anything that's against his perfect nature. And he is holy. He is good. He is perfect. So anything that separates us from God, he is against. He is against it so much that he died on the cross for sin and death to be to be demolished so that we could come into a relationship with God. He dislikes it that much. So there is things on this earth that we should get riled up about. 
We should be mad that Christians are being killed in Afghanistan. We should be we angry when we hear about child slavery and sex trafficking and abortion and people being murdered. We should be angry when we hear about things like Myanmar and what's going on there. We should be angry, but we shouldn't only complain about it. We should do something about it. In God's word, there's this man named Nehemiah. And I love Nehemiah because he, he's not a pastor. He's not even a preacher, but he's used by God in some big ways. In the Old Testament, Nehemiah is right next to the book of Ezra. And so whenever we had our son Ezra, people kept joking like, is your next son going to be Nehemiah? And I was like, no, it's a terrible name. I would never name my son Nehemiah. I'm not rude or cruel in that way. We named our next son Joel, which is a much better name than Nehemiah. No offense. Nehemiah. But Nehemiah was a cool guy. He was a cup bearer for a king. So he would go and he would drink the cup. And if it was poisonous, he would die. And if it wasn't poisonous, he would give it to the king. So probably not the best job, but maybe it was the one that he could find. And so he was doing this to the king. But then he started to realize that there was a city that God's people used to live in. But at one point, the walls had been torn down. This is the city of Jerusalem. And the walls were torn down and the people were exiled. And he started to get a heart for that city. And he knew that that wasn't right. He had that righteous indignation. that He had that, that um, anger about it. And he wanted to do something. He didn't just complain. He wanted to do something. So he went to the king. And he said, okay, king, I know that this isn't your nation. But there's this other nation that belongs to the God I worship and their cities and ruins, and I need to go and fix it. And he was praying while he was talking to this king, and he said, can I leave your service, and can I do it? And this king, wasn't a believer in God, noticed something, and I believe God worked in this situation, and he said, Nehemiah, you can go, and not only can you go, but I will help you, and I'll support in what you're doing. So Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem, and what does he do? He rebuilds the walls. He doesn't do it by himself. He actually gets other people to together build the walls. So he gets people, hey, like, hey, you're making bread. That's cool. You're going to start building the wall. What do you do? You make horseshoes or something. That's cool. I don't know. Um, you're going to be helping build the wall. And then he got people together. And this cupbearer became a wall builder because he saw that something wasn't right. And he did something about it. It's not enough to simply type it out on social media. It's not enough to just go to complain about someone so it can get off your chest. Sometimes what we got to do is roll up our sleeves, bring our A-game, and do something about it. Listen, you are smart and you are capable. You were created by the God of the universe in his image. He thought so highly of you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for you. That if it was only you, that he would have still made that sacrifice because of how he made you. You are God's original masterpiece. There is so much that you can accomplish with the help of God. So sometimes what we're going to have to do is we're going to see this circumstance and we're going to have to go after it. And it's going to be hard work, but God can come alongside us and change it. This is something that I wish I had heard years ago. You see, when I was growing up, I had this huge issue in my life where I hated myself. I had these self-deprecating thoughts. I just thought so lowly of myself. And that's why when people are, are, are encouraging to me, even to this day, it means so, so much. I hold those compliments and those encouragements very dear because I spent so much of my life just looking at myself in the mirror and just 
disliking who I saw. And eventually that became uh, a lot of anxiety in my life where I was so worried that everyone would see through the facade and see me as the fraud that I felt that I was and that they would hate me the way that I hated myself. And so eventually I started dating girls and when the the dating went wrong, whether it was a girl cheated on me or we just broke up or there was just this one girl I was dating that just stopped calling me for a couple of weeks and eventually she called up and was like, why are you bothering me? Let's break up. And whatever it was, I always blamed myself, always. I just thought, well, it's my fault. I pushed her away or she's right to leave me because I'm no good anyway. Eventually, I went on a date with a girl named Rachel Martin, and she was cute and, and funny and talented, and, and she loved Jesus, and, and I was really excited. After we had our first date, I had coffee, she had tea. I went and played basketball, and Kyle Lutz, Pastor Mark's brother, was playing with me, uh, and he was like, hey, like, I knew you went on a date today. How'd it go? And I was like, man, I think she could be the one. And so I went, and we continued to date, and, and I actually was on uh, a retreat with Mark whenever I asked her to be my girlfriend. I did it over the phone, which wasn't very classy, but I wanted to lock it in while I was away in Colorado. I didn't want like me to be in Colorado and come back, and she was dating someone else, so I locked that down. And, and so eventually, though, th this joy, this happiness of being with Rachel turned to this point where I got scared. And I couldn't think of anything else, but what if she leaves me? I felt that she was who God created to, to be with me. I felt like she was the one that I was supposed to marry, but I had this dread in my heart that I was gonna do something eventually to mess it up, that she was gonna find something about my past and she was gonna walk away and I was gonna just, just mess it all up. I was in Haiti for a mission trip for 10 days. And when I was in Haiti, some of our plans got messed up. So I ended up living in this, this house in the middle of a village with a pastor, very nice man, but we didn't have electricity. So when it got dark, we just laid in our beds until we fell asleep. And during that time, I felt just so attacked by the enemy, by Satan, just with voices in my head because I couldn't contact my wife, my, my girlfriend at the time who is now my wife, spoiler. And, and as I was praying at night, as I was just laying in bed, as I was listening to my audiobook of The Hunger Games, I kept thinking in my head, like, she is thinking right now at home, wow, how nice is it that I'm not with Alex right now? He's in another country, and I'm just so happy. Whenever he comes back, I'm just going to break it off with him. I felt this fear. So when I got back, I realized I got to do something about it because it was causing all kind of anger and fear inside me. So I went to a counselor. I saw a Christian counselor, and I used to have this bad opinion of counseling. No more. I think it's amazing. If you could find a good Christian counselor, do it. And so I went to this Christian counselor. His name was Dr. Phil, and not the one from the TV, but another one. And um, better than the one from the TV. TV guy's kind of crazy. Uh, and so I remember being in there with Dr. Phil and he kept telling me things like God created me for a purpose, that he's not done with me, that, that he has redeemed me, that the, the mistakes I've made do not define me, that the blood of Jesus defines me, the love that he has defines me. And so through this time, I was able to get this confidence to, to go back to, to, I mean, to continue my relationship with Rachel and eventually proposed to her. She said yes. And then we got married and then we have kids and it's amazing. But it was because, and this isn't tuned to my own horn at all, but this was because I was willing to go and seek the help. There's something in your life right now that you can change the circumstance that you're in. And it might be learning a new skill. It might be going out and doing some hard work. It might be going to get help. It might be signing up to be in a small group to get that accountability, that community. It might be counseling, whatever it is. If you can change your circumstance, God wants to help you do so to make a difference for his kingdom and for this world and for your life. But here's the next thing. 
if you can't change your circumstance. And there's sometimes we're in a circumstance that God wants us to be in. We don't like to be in that circumstance or that situation. Sometimes we're in that circumstance, and what we have to do is change our perspective. Going back to that guy, Paul. So Paul, this preacher that was telling people about Jesus, he's a Roman citizen. It's a fun fact. But the most important thing about that is he wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to go to Rome to tell people about Jesus because Rome ruled the world at that time. So it was a good ambition. He wanted to go and tell everyone in Rome about Jesus so that the world could be changed for God's glory so that his kingdom could come to earth. It was amazing. But he didn't go to Rome as a preacher, as a pastor. He went to Rome as a prisoner. He was arrested for his faith, and that's where he wrote that letter to the Philippian church in Philippi. He was in prison, and so you could assume, you could imagine that this could take a toll on Paul. But here's the thing. Paul knew something very important. Paul is not or was not the main character in the story. God is the main character. In all of our stories, we are not the main character. God is, and Paul came to grips with that, so he was able to take the most of what he was doing. And in that letter to the church of Philippi, he even said this, Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What he's, what he's talking about is being in prison. As a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. It became known to everyone why he was in chains for Jesus. You see what happened was he was in prison, like kind of like a house prison. And so every day there would be a guard chained to him. Every eight hours they would change shifts and there'd be a new guard. And finally it dawned on Paul at some point, wait a second, I can still preach. I have someone held captive to me every day for eight hours. Me, the prisoner, you're going to have to listen to me for eight hours. And he began ministering to these people over and over. And so much so that everyone in the palace guard, everyone around knew what he believed and knew about Jesus because his mentality had shifted. He stopped worrying and stopped complaining about the situation that he was in and changed his perspective to see, why has God put me here? It must be for a reason. What can I do for God's glory? Listen, there might be a situation you're in that you don't want to be in, that you can't change. Let's ask God to reveal why we're in those situations. You might be there for a specific person. You might be where you are because you can reach someone that has lost. You could show someone the love of Jesus. You could do something to change the world through the situation that you're in. God has a plan for where you're at, even if you don't like where you're at. So if you are in a place you don't like, acknowledge that God still has a plan. When I was in high school, I got to learn this uh, because of my buddy Ryan. My buddy Ryan Smith was an electric guitar player, super talented, four years younger than me, way better than I have ever been at, at playing guitar. And, and it was really cool to be in a band. I was playing bass at the time alongside Ryan. And he had a really cool family. He, I guess, does still really have a cool family. He's I mean, a young guy. And his dad's name is Bob Smith, and he was an FBI agent. Maybe he's retired by now. But Bob Smith, what a cool FBI name. And his wife, Linda, just a, a saint, like, 
like ran VBS, told people about Jesus that were like at the grocery store. His sister Erin was just so nice and, and calm and quiet, but just so polite. And Linda was just someone that I looked up to. I mean, she had just this light about her that you would interact with her and know that she loved Jesus. And so when she it was revealed that she had cancer, it was a shock. It was a shock for our whole entire church because if anyone should get blessings in this life, it should be Linda. But regardless, we kept praying and had this faith that, okay, Linda has cancer right now, but God, you're going to heal her. Thank you. We would say stuff like, thank you, God, that you're going to heal her. Thank you that her ministry is going to continue. Thank you that you are going to do amazing things through the life of Linda. It's going to be awesome. We can't wait to see your miraculous healing. It's going to be so cool. Unfortunately, Linda was not healed. She continued to get worse and worse, and I remember one day going to visit her in the hospital. It was the last time the Steelers were in the Super Bowl. I remember we were watching them lose to Green Bay, and she just was so happy. There was this disease that was killing her, and she had this joy in her. When nurses came in, they kept telling us, oh, Linda's the best. She cares for us when we come in. We're coming to check on her, and she's just so nice and kind, and she's telling us about Jesus, and she's just a wonderful woman. And she's there with us, and she's making sure that we're comfortable and talking to us. Eventually, she passed away because of cancer. And so, I, of course, wanted to go to her funeral. And, and her funeral was going to be at the church that we attended, but our church was very small. And so instead, they moved it to a, a much larger church uh, nearby. And so when we got there, I got there a couple minutes late as uh, kind of per usual. And I got there, and the place was packed. It was a huge auditorium. Every seat was packed. And then the pastor gets up and says, hey, does anyone want to say anything about Linda? And that is a point in funerals where you're kind of holding your breath. You're like, come on, someone go up and say something. But it's nerve wracking. People don't love public speaking. But this wasn't one of those times because immediately a humongous line formed and people after people kept telling the story about Linda and how whether it was at the grocery store, they found out about Jesus because of her, or they were a nurse at the hospital where she was at, and they found out about Jesus, or that there was someone from VBS or from the church or just from the community, and all these stories about how she made a huge difference, and it dawned on me that God did answer our prayers, that, that she is healed right now. She's in heaven. She has no pain at all. She's with her Savior, Jesus, and her ministry continues because of the people that she impacted is just spreading like wildfire. God changed so many lives from Linda and her story, and Linda knew it. She knew it. She understood that she was the main character. God's the main character. Her perspective changed. She understood that this is what God had for her, and it's not what she wanted. It sucks. It was terrible. But she was still going to have joy and minister through that, and lives were changed. It's easy to focus on the problems. But let's focus on the possibilities that God has before us. It's easy to focus on the obstacles, but let's think about the opportunities that we can do during those obstacles. It's easy to think about what is not, but let's start to think about what is and what God has put before us and what we could do amidst the circumstances that we're in. And it starts by focusing on God and not us. So if we can change our circumstances, let's do something about it. And if we can't, let's change our perspective. It's why in God's word, King David, who was getting attacked by enemy armies, was able to sing about this in the book of Psalms. This is a book of songs to God. And he's able to say this amidst a really hard time. 
Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. He was able to praise God through the hardships because he understood who God is and the fact that God is in control and that God forgives his sins. Listen, I want to tell you right now today that God has the same love for you that he sent his son to this earth to die on the cross, to raise again from the dead so that your sins could be forgiven. If you're listening to this and you're saying, well, I kind of just clicked on this out of curiosity or whatever your situation is, but you don't know Jesus, Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to make this commitment to God today. You see, Jesus died on, on the cross for us, for our sins. And those sins, again, those are things that God hates because they separate us from a relationship with him. So all God has asked us to do is admit that we're sinners, admit that we do things against God's will, ask to be forgiven for our sins, and then give our lives over to Jesus as Lord, which means owner, saying, hey, take control. There are things that I can't fight on my own, but I know I can fight with you on my side when you're fighting my battles. So take my life and take over. So in a moment, we're going to pray, and I'm going to say a prayer, and I encourage you, if you've never asked Jesus to come into your life as Lord and Savior, to say that prayer alongside me. But before we do that, I want to share our next step. And this is something that we can do to live out what we're talking about, that we can live out th this purpose of not complaining and of using our words for life and not death. Again, there's enough death in this world. Let's not be a part of it. Let's be a part of the change and the goodness that's in this world. So if we want to do that, here's the next step. If I can change my circumstance, I will. If I can't, I'll change my perspective. If I can change my circumstance, I will. You can. You are able. You're smart. You're gifted. God has created you unique for a purpose. You can change the circumstances if God is desiring you to. But if we can't or God's put us there for a certain reason, let's change our perspective and know and ask God to reveal why we're there. Right now, we're going to enter into a time of prayer. But before we do that, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for tuning in. I'm not sure how long ago. I know I had a time frame, and I'm sure I blew past it because I do that. Oh, I'm getting a thumbs up, so maybe I didn't. I don't know. Uh, but why don't we pray, and, and then we'll, we'll do some more talking. But again, I'm going to give this invitation, this opportunity. If you've never ex accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior today, make that decision today. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the times that you've revealed yourself through the hard things in our lives. I pray that today will be the start of something different, that we won't be filled with complaining or seeking out faults. We know there's faults. It's a broken world. We're broken people. We are people that have faults. You aren't. You are a good God that has no faults. Let's instead of focusing on the faults, focusing on you and allow that to dictate what we do. Right now, I pray that there's anyone that's listening right now that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, but wants to make this commitment to give their life over to you, they will say this prayer with their own words and their own heart and their own mind. They'd say, dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner, that I fall short of perfection. I believe that you are the one true God and that your son died for me and rose again. Forgive me of my sins and become my Lord, my owner today. Accept me as a member of your family. 
pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Lux Digital Church. If Lux has been having an impact on your life, I want to encourage you to visit us at luxdigitalchurch.com and get connected to our community there. We're so thankful for you and we appreciate you. Have a blessed day and a blessed week.